0: I had a little glass of water up here, but graceful Paul kicked it over. I will call him King of Kings. Praise God. That's what this morning is all about as we're celebrating Easter. If one more person says to me, You look so nice this morning. There's only about three or four times in my life where I wear suits. Going out on a fancy, fancy date with my wife. Going to funerals. And Easter. <laughs> and I will not be coerced into doing anything else. So, I was told if I didn't wear a suit, the Easter bunny wouldn't bring me any candy. So here you go. I, I like dressing up once more. I like this to be the kind of place where if you feel like dressing up, wearing a suit, dress up and wear a suit. If you like... Wearing a T-shirt, wear a T-shirt underneath your suit. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) So diversity is the name of the game here, and so I like to once in a while surprise people. Uh, For those of you who are visiting for the first time, I'm not known for wearing suits and ties very, very often. Uh, But this morning, Marlene Lee is just having a joyful time because every time I wear a tie, she says, how wonderful I look in a tie. (laughs) What, I look like Mincemeat the rest of the time? No, I'm kidding. I, before I even read that, the passage I, I want to uh, preach on this morning, I, I want to give a little testimony here. Uh, we like to sort of publicize things that God does when God does a real great work. And this is a, uh, a written, written in testimony on a response sheet by Laura Bath-G. Bath-G. Um And uh, it's just this. Uh, she was having irregular heartbeats. Something was wrong with her heart. The doctors didn't know what it was, and she was going in for some tests. Um, had had, I, I gathered from this some tests and was going in for some further tests, and we had a, uh, she, she came a, up afterwards uh, for prayer, and uh, she just writes, praise God, I went to the doctor uh, that week to do the tests, and there's nothing wrong with my heart, my heart is completely healed, and I think God should get the credit for that, so praise the Lord, amen, thank you Lord, he is alive, he is alive. I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, and we'll start with verse
1: 42.
0: Actually, I'll start with verse 41. It's a very interesting verse. I think it's a real profound verse. It's a verse that I don't very much understand. Um, But what I do understand about it or what at least I think I understand about it, I'd like to share with you. I'll start in verse 41. Paul says, "The sun has one degree of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the stars differ, and each star differs from star in terms of its splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. But the last Adam, the second Adam, a life-giving spirit. That's Jesus Christ. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual... The first man, Adam, was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. I want you to get that. (laughs) It's great. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, the man of dust, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Let me just go down to verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that Your Word would come alive this morning as we gather together here to celebrate the most miraculous event in the history of the world You're rising from the dead. You're conquering death and thereby conquering all sin and all destruction. As we come together to celebrate that, Lord, we pray that Your Spirit would be with us as Your Word goes forth. Because Your Word, Lord God, without the Spirit comes to nothing. If it's just preached with our mentality or with our study, if it's just preached in the flesh, Lord, it produces nothing of kingdom value. And so, Lord, we pray that Your Spirit would be here energizing Your Word, making it come to life even as we hear it. And Lord, I pray especially for any who might be here this morning who are not yet living in that resurrection power and don't know You. I pray, God, that this would be a seed that would be sowed in their heart to bring them into a loving relationship with You. In Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I think this passage, among many other things that it does lays out for us two fundamental ways of looking at life, two fundamentally contrasting ways of living life. You can either live life in the light of the first Adam, from the perspective of of the first Adam, the the man of dust, or you can live life in the perspective of the second Adam, Jesus Christ who came from heaven. You can live life and see life and experience life in the perspective of the first head of the human race who has fallen, Or you can live life and experience life from the perspective of the second Adam, who is the new head of this new human race, the body of believers. I think it comes down to this. Either death is the end of our life, either we are just dust and just perishability, or death is the beginning of real human life. Either our temporal life, this physical world, is all there is to life. It is all the existence we shall ever have. Or this temporal life, this physical life, is, as Paul says, simply a prelude to when life really begins. This natural life is a prelude to when spiritual life really will begin. Either this physical life is all there is, or this physical life, the temporary 50, 60, 70 years, 80, 90 maybe, that we live here on earth. It's simply a prelude to an eternal life we have with God. Well, when i want to consider both of those options. Let's consider option number one first. Living life and experiencing life in the first Adam. This is what what the Bible calls living in the flesh. If this life is all there is, if this life is the totality of all existence, then I submit to you, life is the pit. Other words come to mind, but I'm not going to use them. It's a piss. It's empty. It's futile. It's purposeless. It's meaningless. I remember one time I've shared this before from the pulpit when I was a, a, a student at the University of Minnesota, majoring in philosophy. My head got royally, royally screwed up, and I went uh, uh, about six, seven months where I couldn't be, think. I, I didn't think I could be a believer. I thought that uh, my heart wanted to believe. But my mind said there are too many obstacles, too many objections, too many problems with Christianity. I can't, with any kind of intellectual integrity, believe it. And so I chose to be an atheist. Now, choosing to be an atheist has some convenient aspects to it. I could go back to the life that uh, I had had prior to becoming a Christian two years before. And I tried to do that. I tried to live it up, party it up, get down, get crazy, get wild, and have a lot of fun. Because, hey, life is meaningless and purposeless, and so you might as well just have a good time before you die. What else is there? And I remember one time being at a party at the University of Minnesota, fraternity house party. Those of you who go to the University of Minnesota know what fraternity house parties can be like, and this was one of them. It was crazy. It was wild. People throwing themselves uh, on each other. A lot of booze, a lot of drugs, a lot of sex. It was crazy. I remember sitting there in this corner, looking at this party, going crazy, going wild, trying to have a good time, but I couldn't do it. Because inside, I was saying to myself, this is all so empty. It is all so meaningless. It is all so futile. It's all so cheap. It's all so trivial. And what really makes it disgusting, what really repulsed me this one evening, was that the people throwing themselves at each other and trying to drown out their troubles and get high didn't didn't even realize how empty and meaningless their life was. Somehow I thought that if... If you knew that your life was empty and meaningless and futile, then at least that gives your life a little bit of dignity, a little bit of self-respect. But they're just living like animals live, not being conscious of the fact that their lives are empty and meaningless and futile. And it ticked me off that they're getting mad. Because if this life is all there is, if death ends it all, then life really is that meaningless. All that you see, all that you touch, all that you taste, all that you feel, everyone around you, everything around you is perishable. Think about it. Maybe take a little quick look around. Everything you see shall someday not be here. All the great cities we build, all the skyscrapers, all the great monuments we have shall someday be nothing. And your life and every life alongside you shall someday come to absolutely nothing. It shall perish. That's the inheritance of the first Adam. That's the result of the fall. What that means for us is this. It means that life, if this life is all there is, life is utterly, utterly meaningless. When you die, the world's no better for having had you here. When all of humanity ceases to exist, the universe will have been no better for us being here. When the, when the sun finally goes into a supernova and sucks up the earth and everything turns to blackness and the entire universe cools down, what difference will anything have made? None. None. Life is, like the atheist Bertrand Russell once said, life is a fungus that grows on cooling planets. What does that do for your self image? I'm a piece of fungus. It's all meaningless. It's all perishable. Life is ultimately irrational. It's ultimately absurd. Things don't make sense. And ultimately, it's futile. Ultimately, it's unfulfilling. It's unfulfilling. Take an example that we've all seen this last week. Whatever you think about Robert Guevara, whether he's innocent or not, whether he's guilty, we have to go by what the jury said. They had a better perspective than we do, and we have to abide by that. But everyone has to be frustrated at the fact that justice has not been served. Whoever it was that did this, heinous, unthinkable, nightmares, crime, has gone unpunished. But there's something fundamental within us, isn't there? that says that things should be right, things should be just, there should be morality, evil should be punished, wrong should be made right. There's something in us that cries out for justice, and yet in this world we don't see it very often, do we? Not only the criminal that kidnapped Robert Rivera, but all the criminals that have ever done anything heinous to little children, many times go unpunished, scot-free. Thousands and thousands and thousands of innocent lives have been wasted and there has been no reckoning. And if this life is all there is, there never will be a reckoning. Our system of justice is finally off base. It's skewed. There is no final justice. Crime pays. At least all too frequently. And if this life is all there is, then all the dreams we have, all the silly ideas we have, like good overcomes evil, like love finally triumphs over hatred, Is bosh. It's all bosh. The final exclamation mark in the story of life is a tragic, a tragic no, a tragic note. It ends on a sad note. This whole idea we have that stories should end on good notes is fundamentally mistaken. The universe isn't like that we are screwed up creatures as Albert Camus and Jean-Paul Sartre, famous atheists, as they said. We're freaks of nature because we long for things that the universe can't give us. We long for meaning, but the universe is meaningless. And we long for rationality, but the universe is irrational. And we long for justice, but there is no justice. We're freaks of nature. We don't fit in this world at all. That's option number one. But you've got to ask yourself, how could that be? How could it be that our, our, our longings for love and our longings for goodness and our longings for justice and our longings for things that make sense are so out of place in this universe? How could nature produce beings so incompatible with itself? Surely there must be more. There must be more than just this physical world of decay. There must. And that's what option number two says. Option number two It's the biblical option. It's the option that we read about in 1 Corinthians 15 as he contrasted the two options. Option number two, the second way of living life, is to say, yes, there was a first Adam, and yes, there is a fall, and yes, life sometimes feels meaningless, and yes, there is suffering, and yes, there is tragedy, and yes, there is corruption and decay and sadness. But option number two adds to that by saying this is not the whole story. In fact, it says this isn't even the main story. This is but a short prelude to what is the main story. Because option number two says there is going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a resurrection. And when you are resurrected, when you are resurrected, then life as God intended life to be will really just begin. We're just, we're in a womb. We're in a womb. In the process of being born. In fact, we're in an infected womb, and so there's a lot of pain, and it's really cramped. You know what it was like to be in a womb. We were all there one time. It's all cramped. You can't spread your arms. It's just that fetal position gets really tiring after a while, and all that amniotic fluid. Yeah, man. You know. And so that's what life is like. It's cramped. It's, it's infected. It just isn't... You know. But the second option says there's coming a resurrection, and that resurrection death is not the end of life. It's the beginning of life. It's the time when we'll be born it's the time when we'll be born into what God really had intended for humanity all along. It's the time when the, imperishable, when the perishable shall put on imperishability. And the incorruptible shall put on incorruptibility. And the mortal shall put on immortality. And the physical shall put on spirituality. And it's the time when right now we, we, we see justice and goodness and beauty in little glimpses. But what we long for is a fullness of experience of justice and goodness and love. And that's what it will be experienced. And right now we see little glimpses of the glory of God, little glimpses of the splendor of God in this first Adam existence. But when we're finally born into the world that God always has intended for us, we'll see Him as He is face to face in all of His glory and all of His splendor. For we shall be like Him. What we hunger for, we shall be fed with. And what we thirst for, we shall drink. And what we desire, we shall receive because there's going to be a resurrection. And you ask, how can you be so certain about that? How can you know that? And the answer is simply this. The women went to the tomb. The historical records say they went to the tomb and the tomb was empty. Praise God. And then Jesus appeared to those women and then Jesus appeared to the twelve disciples and then Jesus appeared to over 500 people and the evidence was so solid that even the opponents of Christianity, even those who wanted to put it under the ground, couldn't do it. They had no motive to lie. These disciples who, who, who died for their faith, they had seen the resurrected Lord and every believer who's ever believed in Him, every believer who's ever trusted in Him, every believer who's ever received it has experienced that new life within them. He is risen this morning. He is no longer in the tomb. He's alive. And His promise is this. This wasn't just a unique thing that happened to Him. The Bible says that He is the firstborn among many, many brethren. The Bible says that in that day when we shall be raised from the dead, we shall see Him, for we shall be like Him. We too shall be raised from the dead. All who believe in Jesus, we too shall put on immortality. We too shall put on incorruptibility. And we shall be like Him, the firstborn among many brethren. We're in a womb now. It's a womb that has gotten some virus in it, but it shall not always be this way. We shall be born anew. There's two things I want to say about this. Seeing life from the perspective of the second Adam. Seeing life from the perspective of the resurrection. Number one, it makes the world of difference. It makes the world of difference. These soup coats are just too hot. I'm sorry. I, 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 was, I, I was going to try to get all the way through the service, but I can't do it. I'm just going to sweat day. makes the world a difference whether you believe this life is all there is or whether you believe in a, in a, in a resurrection. Let, let me tell you, I, I, I'll give you a little analogy. went down to Disney World a short while ago, a couple of years ago with, with the kids. There's two things you can know about Disney World. You can be certain of Disney World. Number one, you're going to go broke. You're going to spend a whole lot of money. And number two, you're going to have long lines. When you go down there with three little kids and you've got to wait in line in the hot sun, it's not always that pleasant. What you got to do when you have those little kids, and well, sometimes you've got to tell yourself this, because you, you can get kind of ornery as you wait in those hour and a half lines. You keep on saying, think what it will be like when we get on the ride. And try to get them to think about that. Oh, and we get on that Back to the Future ride, that is one good ride. When we get on that Back to the Future ride... Oh, I think how fun that will be! Think it will be like when we see King Kong space when he picks up that truck. Think what it'll be like when we when we see the Ghostbusters, and think what it'll be like when we ride on this ET thing that you go on in Universal Studios. And you get him thinking about that, and somehow that makes it tolerable. You can put up with the long lines because you know that when you get there, it'll be worth it. It's not always worth it, but you hope it will be worth it. Well, what would it be like if you went to Disney World and you just stood in lines? Hey, kids, let's spend $3,000 going to Disney World and waiting in lines in 95-degree sun. And that's like a lot of fun, doesn't it? Just waiting in lines. This is what it's about. Isn't this great? That would be intolerable. That sun would become so hot and, and your feet would get so sore because you're not waiting for anything. Pain is intensified when there's no reward afterwards. And so it is in life. It makes a world of difference whether you believe that this life is all there is or whether you believe that you're actually going somewhere. You're in line and the line is progressing towards something that will someday make it all worth it. Let's say you're here and you, you, your career stinks. You, you hate your career. Maybe you're unemployed. Or you've got a boss who's a real jerk and he drives you crazy. Or you're spending your life pushing a pencil that feels meaningless and you had all these dreams of being somebody someday and now you're going through that midlife crisis that hurts so much. What really gives that career crisis or that midlife crisis a bite? What really makes it destructive is feeling like this is your one life. This is your one shot to do something significant. And here you are wasting away a third of your life every day doing something that you hate doing, putting up with a boss who doesn't know Diddley squat. It really makes it hard and painful. And having a bad job and being unemployed is hard and painful, and, and I'm not minimizing that. But it makes a world of difference whether you believe in the resurrection or not. Because if you see life from the perspective of the second Adam, you know that this life is not all there is. This life isn't the whole story. This life isn't even the central story. You're just the fetus in preparation to be born. You're in the process of being made. And God can even use those those frustrating circumstances to begin to weave you into the kind of creature He wants you to be so that you're prepared for heaven when you're born. Finally beginning to live on the far side of the resurrection. It makes a world of difference whether you believe in the resurrection or not. Or some of you here this morning maybe are suffering through a bad marriage. Your marriage is kind of tough. Eighteen couples just kicked each other. No, <laughs> oh, no, listen to him. He's going to talk about it.
1: <laughs>
0: bad marriages hurt. Oh, you feel lonely. It's it's uh, tough. There's no peace, and it's really it's really a killer. And 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 no matter what you believe, it's hard to to be involved in a bad marriage and. And sometimes in this fallen world, they end. They're not survivable. But it makes the world a difference whether you believe in the resurrection or not. What really kills you and can destroy you when you're involved in a bad relationship is the feeling that this is your one shot at happiness. This is your one shot at life. This is your one shot at love, and it's going down the tubes. You're blowing it on this bozo so who doesn't appreciate you or love you. And you're not getting any younger. You should have held out and waited for the guy that's in the office right now. That's a dangerous thought. Or you should have married that, that, that woman back there in high school and now you're stuck in this thing. And that's what, what makes it such a killer. This is the one shot you've got. But see if you believe. If you see that from the perspective of eternity, see it from the perspective of the resurrection, see it from the perspective of, of the fact that you're right now just in the womb waiting to be born and it sheds a new light on it. Waiting in line in the hot sun is tolerable. If you can see ahead enough to say with Paul, that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared to the glory which God has in store for those who love Him, there's going to be a resurrection. And that's going to make it all worthwhile. And that can give strength and peace and patience even now. It doesn't make the things pleasant. But it means that even the, the potentially destructive experiences we go through can be beneficial. when you see them from the perspective of the resurrection. And so it is with a lot of things. Aging, if you just believe this life is it, if you see life from the perspective of the first Adam, aging is nothing but the process of dying in slow motion. Woo! This guy is really making me happy. <laughs> your body used to be so vibrant, so strong, and your face so smooth, and now you're getting on, and that railroad train is heading for that brick wall ever so faster, and you're seeing that bo- your body begin to decay before you. That's what it is. And if you see life from just the perspective of the first Adam, you're just in the process of becoming dust. More and more dust all the time. And it's very sad and it's very depressing. And you wonder why our age sort of despises old age. Other cultures esteem senior citizens in, in old age. Our culture kind of looks down on it. Because for us, in this secular culture in which we live, it's a reminder of what's going to happen to us. It's dying in slow motion. But you see... It makes all the difference in the world whether you believe in the resurrection or not because if you see it from the perspective of the resurrection, see it from the perspective of the second Adam, your line is going forward. You're getting closer and closer to the ride. And those wrinkles and, and that frail body and the aches and pains that you have are not necessarily bad news. They can be good news. They're sort of like the labor pains that you've got to go through if you're going to be born on the other side. Paul says unless the seed is planted, it can never be raised again. And so it is with us. Aging can become a positive thing when you see it from the perspective of the resurrection because you're every day getting closer to the time when your life will finally, finally begin. And it makes a world of difference whether you believe in the resurrection when you come to wrestling with injustice in our culture. I would be, I would be so frustrated now if I really believed that Kareen Ersted would be forever in all eternity... Innocently dead and the murderer not, acqu- not, 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 not convicted. That would just rip me apart. But see, if you believe in the resurrection, then I got, what, what allows me to stay sane in situations like this is me knowing that justice has only been postponed. And from eternity it's postponed just a brief second. But justice has not be, been avoided. Whoever it was that did this with Corrine Ersted, and whoever it was that did this to Jacob Wetterling and anyone who's ever laid a hand on little kids and innocent people and taken their lives shall someday pay. And that's not bad news, that's good news. And if those criminals have become Christians, that's even better news. But we'll still see the justice of it because we'll look upon Jesus Christ crucified and see how even that sin was paid for. Justice will be done. It can be postponed. It can be avoided. It can be procrastinated on it, but you can't avoid it. The resurrection—it means the belief in the resurrection means that there's a time, there's coming a time when all wrongs shall be made right, when justice shall be served, when evil shall be punished, and God shall reign supreme. And what is right, and what is good, and what is just shall be accomplished. It makes a world of difference whether you believe in the resurrection or not. But it doesn't just make a difference in the future life. That would be good enough news if, if Christianity was simply the statement, the belief that when you die. You shall be raised again. That'd be good news. But Christianity adds something because it says this: the passage that we read this morning says Jesus Christ, the second Adam, the last Adam, has now become a life-giving Spirit. Jesus Christ in the present is a life-giving Spirit. It's as though it's as though when he when he when he was resurrected and he ascended on high, it's as though he couldn't wait to give out the goodies. Follow me on this. Here he is with this resurrected life. He's, he's the one who's gone on. He's the firstborn among many brethren. And here he is leading the way. He's got this resurrected body. And he can't wait to share it. Not until we die. That's like too long. He wants to start giving, giving it forth now. Infusing believers with it now. And so the Bible says he is now a life-giving spirit. The Bible says that to all who receive Him, to all believers, we are born of an incorruptible seed, First Peter says. We have an incorruptible seed. The seed of that incorruption which shall someday be fully manifested and the seed of that incorruptibility which shall be someday fully manifested that is within us already if you're a believer. If you are a believer, already you are receiving eternal life. Already you are receiving resurrected life. Your, your body... And your mind and your, your social relationships and our entire society is still under the bondage of, of the first Adam. We still are in the process of decay. We are still influenced by corruption. But the spirit within, the spirit within is in the process of being made anew even now. We are already being changed into what we shall fully become. Christ's resurrection life is already flowing within us. We are already in the process of putting on immortality, of of showing forth His new life. The Bible says we are already new creatures in Christ Jesus. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says it even more dramatically. It says this. And Hang with me on this. Ephesians chapter 2 says, starting with verse 1, We once were dead in sin. We once were dead in sin, but now we are resurrected with Him. We have been raised. And it speaks about it in the past tense. Our bodies haven't yet been raised. But at a spiritual level, we are even now, all who believe are participating in the resurrection of Christ. Participating in His resurrected life. We are even right now, we have been raised from a destiny in hell to a destiny in heaven. Amen? We have been raised from our sin into His righteousness. That's a done deal. We have been raised from condemnation into eternal celebration. We have been raised from the bondage of our fear into His confidence and from our anxiety into His peace and from our despair into His joy. And the tomb of our self-destructive nature is already empty. And the tomb of our despair is already empty. The tomb of all that set us apart from God, the tomb that set us in sin and held us oppressed and held us in bondage, to all who believe, that tomb is already empty. And believers have within them already the recipients of God's eternal joy, eternal peace, and eternal life. Now, your mind and your body are still under the influence of the first Adam. So sometimes you don't see that. You don't experience it fully. It's not fully manifested, and it will not. Be fully manifested until the last day. John says it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him. All you know for sure is you're going in the direction of Jesus Christ, and that's something that's occurring even right now. Under the first Adam. Under the first Adam, life is subject to death at a physical level and at a spiritual level. Under the first Adam, life is meaningless and it's futile whatever happens there is is very short and very transitory. The Bible says you're dead in sin. And if you don't know that, that's just a sign of how dead you are if you're an unbeliever now. Like a a man who's being frozen to death, they say that just before you die, you, you feel warm. You don't even feel like you're frozen. And that's how far gone we are is that we think we're pretty good people even though the Bible says we're dead in sin. And there's no way of resurrecting yourself. I've known quite a few corpses in my time None of them could get themselves out of the coffin. A corpse can't resurrect itself. And so also you, if you're a non-believer here this morning, you can read all the self-help books in the world, you can study all the pop psychology, go to all the yoga classes, take some aerobics things, go get another degree in college, have another couple of affairs, try a, a, a new marriage, try a new place of location, try a new job, and you can do all those things and maybe some of them will temporarily take the edge off of the pain of your life it will never, ever be fulfilled. Because you were made for what the Gospel offers. You were made for that resurrection life. And there's only one way of receiving it, and that's to look to the One who has already been raised and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. And my prayer for you this morning is that you'll do that. It's a 20-second prayer, but it makes an eternity of difference. It's just saying, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner, and I need Your forgiveness. I accept the fact that You died for me Come into my life. As we're dismissed this morning, I encourage you to come forward. There'll be four or five people up here who would love to talk with you, who would love to pray with you. If you have other questions, that's something to talk about. And what a beautiful time on this Easter morning when we're celebrating the resurrection. What a beautiful time to make this your new birth. If you're a non-believer here this morning, I implore you, don't leave like that. Accept him into your life. Let's stand and close in prayer. Lord, we thank You because You became a man. You took on our flesh. You took on our sin. You took on our punishment. You paid the price. And then You rose from the dead. Lord God, that is what gives us strength. It is what gives us hope. It is what gives us joy. It alone is what makes our life meaningful. And we thank You for it, Lord. And we pray, Lord God, that every person here this morning could leave this place with the assurance that they shall be resurrected with You with the assurance based on God's word that they'll live eternally with you, and Lord God, with a glimpse of the kind of joy and love and life and peace that you have prepared for us. We thank you for it and we ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.